0: Welcome to the February 2020 edition of the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation's RehabCast. This is the official podcast of the Archives of PM&R, and I'm your host, Ford Vox. Now in this particular issue, we are featuring a paper just from the February issue. Recently, we've been having two issues featured per podcast, had a little bit of difficulty scheduling. January's, and we may do that in a future edition of this podcast. Just so you know, the January issue of the Archives of Physical Medicine Rehabilitation features a series of papers on the development and results of the TBI Quality of Life Project. Uh, And this is important because these are health related quality of life measures that can potentially be uh, useful in a wide array of research in the TBI population. Look out for the series of papers in the January issue on that. As for the February issue, we're going to be talking with Dr. Abhishek Jawant. He is of the Weill Cornell Department of Rehabilitation Medicine. And we're going to be discussing the MOCA scale as it applies to inpatient rehabilitation of stroke patients. Without further ado, let's get right into that interview. So, joining us now on the Rehab Cast is Dr. Abhishek Jawant. He is an assistant professor of neuropsychology, an assistant attending psychologist, and a clinical neuropsychologist at the Wheel Corneal. Uh, College of Medicine and the Departments of Psychiatry and Rehabilitation Medicine. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Jawan.
1: You're welcome. Glad
0: to be here. And uh, and you have published on uh, in the February archives of PMNR on subgroups defined by the Montreal Cognitive Assessment and how they differ in functional gain. Uh, During acute inpatient stroke rehabilitation, so uh, tell us first about uh, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment and its um, development, and and why you thought that that would be useful in inpatient stroke rehab.
1: Yeah, so the MoCA, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, or the MoCA, it's a it's a cognitive screening instrument, uh, thirty point uh, screen where higher scores uh, denote better performance, lower scores more impairment. Really came out. Uh, more from the um, aging, all cognitive impairment, and Alzheimer's, dementia world. Mm-hmm. and But it, it's become very uh, commonly used in rehabilitation. And when I started here at uh, at at while Cornell at New York Presbyterian, it was the the standard measure that the occupational therapists uh, were using on our rehab unit, and it was interesting because the the cutoffs uh, for these different subgroups of sort of normal, mild, moderate imp- uh, impairment that were being used were from the what the original developers had published, mm-hmm. and but those really hadn't been. Uh, validated in stroke specifically. Um, and actually, even you know when you try to look for uh, validation of those subgroups on, on the MoCA website, there's not there weren't a lot of data, at least that I could find to s- sort of define or, or think of like, are those valid ways to think of different groupings of patients? And so that was, so knowing that this was something that was uh, being administered on our rehabilitation unit at admission, um, a lot of my animating research questions were, you know, is this a valid screen to be giving? And what, is it, what does it tell us um, about the things that, you know, patients and their, their caregivers and therapists and rehab professionals are interested in, which is function and functional gain. And um, from that, we just, we did some early your work on it. And from that, this paper really came to this idea of subgroups. And, you know, can we, um, you know, are these groupings that we came to, do they provide clinically useful information? So that was the real sure. research question that we were getting at here. Mm-hmm.
0: And I see you have a, a prior research interest in this area as well, kind of, uh, you know, quick and dirty neurocognitive screens, maybe not so dirty, hopefully, <laughs> but um, right. more efficient ways to clinically assess patients. I see you uh, previously published on a 30-minute neuroscience right. assessment, battering patients stroke rehab. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about, about that prior work and how that informed this as well.
1: Yeah, so, again, it really comes from – uh, really clinically oriented and clinically driven research. Um, so as I mentioned, the MOCA is the the screen that all patients get on our unit. Um, the occupational therapists are the ones um, giving the the MOCA, and then, but me as a neuropsychologist, uh, I think uh, you said it right. It's you know it's quick and it's it's certainly dirtier relative to as an in an outpatient setting when we have more of the luxury of time. The, this mm-hmm. idea of you know what tests are we going to administer, and how are we really going to get the most bang for a buck um, in terms of uh, what we're administering to patients um, and what what those measures can tell us. And so the MOCA is something that's given on it that you know our unit gives on admission, and that's that's something I was interested in. But from that, usually patients then get referred to nurse for a neuropsych evaluation um, by me, and then I was interested in well. You know, I've sort of, through my clinical experience, developed a battery or a set of measures that um, I thought were, you know, from from the literature and from my own experience, informative and useful. But, um, you know, could we could we empirically kind of validate the importance of those? And so that paper that you mentioned. Um, it actually, the measures were taken from a battery that was proposed by uh, the National Institute of Neurologic Disorders and Stroke and the Canadian Stroke Network. It was a 30-minute battery that really loaded up more on executive functions, but tried to, again, it's a screen, and I found that I was using a lot of those measures anyway um, in my um Uh, in my evaluations and we had data collected on them. And so essentially um, what we showed in that paper was interesting is that that 30 minute battery does have added value on top of the MoCA and also predicts, um, you know, gain um, within rehabilitation and how patients are doing in terms of their IATLs at discharge. And so both the MoCA and these, even these quick and dirty neuropsych screens we think can be helpful. So.
0: Okay. Well, listeners can look out for that paper. It's in the Journal of Neurological Sciences, mm-hmm. and you published that back in 2018. Mm-hmm. The Moca test, uh, for those who aren't familiar, takes about how long to administer?
1: Uh, Ten to 15 minutes, I would say. You know, with some variability depending on, um, you know, how sort of attentive a patient is or degree of language comprehension. I should say, you know, in our paper that we really only um, you know, we took participants and and patients who were able to uh, follow directions and attend and be alert enough to complete the mm-hmm. um, complete the evaluation. So it's it's fairly sensitive and it's fairly challenging. There's a, you know, there's a miniature version of the ta- trail making test for those who are familiar, um, and a you know quick recall test. And so it is it is sensitive, but it means it can be quite challenging um, for patients who that may be sort of above their level um, at that point. But 10 to 15 minutes usually is what our therapists find that it it
0: takes. Uh, and, and of course, for anyone who doesn't doesn't recall the uh, perhaps most famous individual to be administered the mocos or president of the united states yes that, yes. that, that question came up a couple of years ago and uh, i think ronnie jackson gave it to him yes previously. and surprisingly scored 30 out of 30 yeah I'm a bit suspicious about that still but we'll me see. as
1: me as well and you know it, it kind of brings up an interest without getting to do into the weeds on, on politics this idea of you know sensitivity of of sensitivity and specificity of these kind of screening instruments. And something that our um, previous paper, the Journal of Neurological Sciences paper showed is that even, you know, in our sample of stroke rehabilitation patients, um, those who are scoring in our normal range in our 25 to 30 doesn't necessarily mean that um, they're totally, you know, uh, cognitively intact. We did find a subset of them when we give them this additional 30 minute battery. um, There's Mm. more um speed dependent tasks on it that it was picking up on subtle impairment. So I think that's nice. you know that's uh, brings up this point about cognitive screens and the limitations of them and there really aren't substitutes for more you know comprehensive cognitive evaluation so um, yeah. yeah
0: now uh, the original developers of the MOcha did set um, different uh, subgroups uh, that are being utilized mm-hmm. on, on your stroke unit and that and that population uh, setting them a little bit more. Severe, I think uh, you discussed in the paper that that was the the idea that they they really wanted something that uh, I guess was more specific for clear-cut dementia, right? Um, And what's your rationale for for moving that up a little bit or obviously it was kind of done before your time perhaps or uh, uh, But uh, what do you think that makes sense?
1: Um, Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Um, so we, the approach we took to the subgroup, so it, it's sort of this broader question of how do you even start, where are your cutoffs, and um, how do you define them depending on the population and the question. Um, in the literature, we had seen, and we refer to this in the paper, uh, there's one previous paper that actually used the same um, score ranges. That we did and looked at more underlying vascular disease. And then there was another paper that used a slightly different um, grouping scheme. The way we came up with ours was actually kind of an iterative process. So the, the rationale for using 24 25, so 25 to 30 being normal and 24 to 20 being mild, was. Uh, a previous paper we've published, this is even before the 30-minute the Neurosec battery paper, where we showed that that cutoff point was the most, we did um, receiver operating characteristic curve analyses where we can look at sensitivity and specificity, and um, that that point seemed to be the most sensitive and specific to um, to identifying cognitive impairment. And then the 1920, so 19 and lower being more modern impairment, um, came from a paper published by one of uh, my colleagues and collaborators, uh, Dr. Joan Toglia, who showed that, that at that point, 19 and lower was m- most sensitive to having a functional cognitive deficit on, a, on an OT measure, a bill-paying measure. So our rationale was you know, maybe this 20 to 24 range is when where patients will have mild impairment, but they're not showing as much sort of functional or obvious functional cognitive deficits. And then this 19 and lowers where the more functional deficits are emerging. So that was where we came up, um, how we came up with those those ranges. But you're right that it's not necessarily the the best way to do it. And I think one of the limitations and really further directions is we have a huge range of scores, what we're calling moderate impairment, is essentially 19 and lower, but there's probably more meaningful gradations in there um, that we didn't Mm -hmm. look at.
0: Well, it's a a fairly large study done over several years, you got uh, 334 Mm -hmm. uh, stroke patients from 2012 to 2016. And uh, and ultimately, you're you're trying to track uh, these subgroups mm-hmm. and how they ultimately have uh, uh, FEM uh, recovery. And uh, looks like you you got quite significant results. Can you walk us through those?
1: Uh, yes, exactly. So, um, what we found is that so our study is really limited to um, the inpatient rehab setting. We don't have long term follow up, but our main outcome measures were. Um, essentially looking at uh, gain on the film as a measure of uh, rehabilitation gain. So we had two primary outcome measures. One was the relative film gain, which is... Uh, the amount of gain the, that the person, a person or a patient is making relative to the amount of points possible that they could gain on the FIM. And then the FIM efficiency, which takes that relative FIM gain and divides it by length of stay, to look at, you know, how efficiently on a day-by-day basis are these gains being made. And what we found was consistent with our hypothesis that the essentially it broke down the way we predicted with the subgroup. So the um, those who are scoring uh, at admission on their MoCA on in the normal range, so the 25 to 30, uh, they make the most uh, functional gain and they make it most efficiently. Those who are scoring in this moderately impaired range, 19 or lower, are. Um, they're making least functional gains, they're doing it less efficiently, and then those were in this mildly impaired range, the 20 to 24, they're somewhere in between. So not as much gain and not as efficient as um, the normal group, but better than that moderately impaired group. And this is accounting for uh, age, sex, education, stroke severity, and whether or not it was a recurrent or a first time stroke. Um, we also found um, that they, these subgroups tracked with, if you look at the Clinical, clinically meaningful change on the FIM. It's the normal group on the MOCA that has the highest percentage making a clinically meaningful change. Uh, those in the mildly impaired group were a little bit lower, and then the moderately impaired group that are a little bit worse. And then one thing we did, and this was more exploratory, was to compare how these MOCA subgroups did um, to the cognitive FIM, um, which was a, a more standard of care kind of administered. At, it's more—it's rated by clinicians um, based on observations. So it's not performance-based, but how that did in predicting the same uh, outcome. And we found that our MOCA subgroups did do a little bit better uh, in terms of um, predicting rehab gain. And then we also argued that, you know, that it's a little bit better, um, and that particularly for patients who can handle the MOCA, given that it's. Um, Who can do this 10 to 15 minutes? It's a useful measure to get a a sense of predicting how much gain someone's going to make. It also gives useful qualitative information, particularly as a neuropsychologist. I like to look at the um, the patient's MOCA kind of see how they did, and that informs my testing. But for those who, um, for some reason, can't participate in the in the MOCA itself, that the cognitive firm it, it does have utility as well, it seems to be predicting, um, just to a slightly lesser extent.
0: Yeah, and I think that matches a criticism of the cognitive firm mm-hmm. that's been out there for a long time, that mm-hmm. it doesn't really show fine gradations very well. Exactly. a crude instrument.
1: Yeah, we see ceiling effects often that people are just kind of scoring really highly, and it's not really differentiating meaningfully between different patients. So yeah, yeah.
0: Well, um, so this this study certainly um, uh, emphasizes or reemphasizes for for a lot of folks the um, you know relative uh, a huge uh, importance um, of uh, the cognitive level of folks and how they're going to uh, benefit over the course of inpatient rehab. And um, you mentioned that. With, with, over similar lengths of stay um, mm-hmm. uh, as well, uh, obviously that you're not seeing the same level of uh, FEM change, mm-hmm. uh, an argument could be made that those who have more cognitive impairment coming in are going to need a longer length of stay mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. match up to yep. uh, the functional gain that they need.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and I would just um, and and to the I agree with you, and would add to that. I think something my own research has taken me now um, from this work is to think of how do we so in addition to to longer lengths of stay, but for these patients who are in this mild or mild mild to moderately impaired range, um, do they need more? either more intensity or more cognitively focused interventions, we're developing um, on our unit and we're sort of developing research protocols to look at things like computerized cognitive training if we add you know 30 minutes a day can that would that be helpful for um these patients who are who are showing cognitive impairment or if we do a more formalized metacognitive strategy training within occupational therapy where we're really trying to increase awareness and build strategies um could that be helpful? So agree with you, longer lengths of stay, and also just, I think for me personally, and also kind of a call for people who are interested in this work to, to kind of, um, yeah, be thinking more about interventions and ways that we can support people with, with stroke patients with cognitive impairment.
0: Sure. Um, and uh, you've mentioned a couple of times now how occupational therapy in mm. particular has been involved in this tool, and I wanted to ask you about that. You typically think of perhaps the the speech therapist yeah. um, more so, as I'm um, certainly there are doing cognitive therapy on your unit, but uh, tell us a little bit about um, uh, why why occupational therapy in, in in this case.
1: Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Um, in our unit, we we have, and, and speech therapy and the speech pathologists certainly also do uh, their uh, cognitive screen. So they do something called the cognitive, the CLQT, cognitive linguistic quick test. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have the MOCAs from occupational therapists. And then for those patients who come to me, I'll do this 30 minute um, battery that we were speaking about earlier in the conversation or a, a different, uh, different measure. But it, I think, you know, my sense is that You know, occupational therapists, of course, they're not trained sort of in the same way as a neuropsychologist might be or speech therapist might be, but um, they can sort of, you know, they have this expertise in function. And I think um, over time, it's just become within their initial functional assessment a way for them to um, get the screen of cognition and uh, along with some of the other measures they're doing. So often on our unit, we use other functional cognitive measures within OT, things like the weekly calendar planning activity and this executive function performance test. They're, they're more ecologically similar or valid Mm -hmm. kind of measures of, um, bill paying or, you know, managing and organizing a schedule. And I think that's where the OTs really have their, their expertise. And, um, but I think it, it sort of speaks to the interdisciplinary way that, um, we're sort of thinking of cognition and that it really has to be addressed, um, Across disciplines, our physiatrists or residents actually um, do the brief mental, stat, the brief, uh, the BIMS, the brief mm-hmm. mental status exam. So it, it's nice that each discipline kind of has their own screen and we get to all put our heads together and um, put, the, put the data together and think of how to, best to help the patient. So I think that's something that, so why the OTs do it kind of evolved over time and just become part of their initial screen um, that they do with the patient's.
0: All right. Well, I think you already gave us a hint there of what you envision as uh, perhaps your your next project in this direction or yeah. something. It sounds like you're working on already is a little bit more, adding a little bit more cognitive uh, therapy, perhaps in the mode of some computer-assisted and so forth to exactly. these, these subgroups. Yep, that's it. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing the results of that, and uh, certainly we hope you choose the archives to publish in.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Enjoyed it. And that'll do it for this February 2020 issue of the Archives of PMNR's Rehab Cast. Join us next month. ACRM will be visiting
1: Atlanta twice in 2020. First up will be the ACRM Training Institute at the spring meeting. Held April 23rd to 26th, this economical hands on series of workshops and community meetings is ideal for networking and increasing your involvement in the world of rehabilitation research and clinical training. Then join us in the fall for ACRM 2020. Coming off a record-breaking year in Chicago, the annual conference is the number one meeting for interdisciplinary rehabilitation research and clinical practice. Go to acrm.org and click on meetings to get started.